welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jibraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Akhilaryan, co-founder and CEO of Iron Energy on the concept of doing our life's best work. Akhil is one of the most thoughtful founders I have ever spoken to and this conversation is a true testament to it. Iron Energy is a revolutionary lithium ion battery management and intelligence platform started with the mission of enabling a more sustainable future. Iron is one of the leading startups from the country in the clean tech space adding massive value globally. A huge testament and validation of their progress is their recent successful pre-series A fundraise which saw participation from Amazon's Climate Pledge Fund which also happens to be the fund's first investment in India. Through this entire terrific conversation we discuss a bunch of quintessential qualitative entrepreneurial aspects. This includes questions that help us understand how we can add value and truly serve each other. What real problems mean how market education in clean tech works the process of establishing culture and scaling it within the org and most importantly how to enable our life's best work thus without further ado let's dive in to the 53rd episode of the indian silicon valley podcast life's best work with akhil aryan of iron energy Thank you so much, Akhil, for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure for me to be able to host you. Thanks, Jivraj. Absolute pleasure being here as well. I've been hearing some really good podcasts that you've been putting up, so happy to be part of one of them. Thank you so much, Akhil, and I'm so excited to get started simply because of the core mission that you're driving the future towards, and how you are so passionate about it, right? But before we dive deeper into the journey with Iron, I also want to understand what got you curious to do the multiple diverse things you've done in the past, right? And that is with context to asking the right questions at each step of the way, right? Because when I was going through my research about your journey, it's just so fabulous how you've made these swift transitions from industry to industry. purely because of this curiosity as we call it right but the in depth nature of asking the right questions i'm guessing has helped you as a founder with iron as well right so if you could give us a quick brief of your journey as of yet with that context i think that would be a great way to get the ball rolling absolutely so that's actually a very interesting way to start because it's it's going to layer the the start of the conversation you know as any young kid my journey really started uh with these big ambitious dreams of of you know building a billion dollar business and becoming a billionaire myself and in the start when i was very young it all really began with these numbers uh it was it was more about uh you know coming on the forbes magazine and and having a big company and having all of those sort of people work uh, within my organization so the the motivation uh, in the start when i was you know 15 16 was all around numbers like any other naive sort of kid right like not really thinking of the mission not really thinking of what you know who i want to serve and where i want to go 
So incidentally, in the start of my journey, it was all about looking for these opportunistic leaps or quantum leaps where there was uh, a lot of action happening in industry. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should start something here because there's a lot of action happening over here. And maybe, you know, we can we can swiftly build something that is significant and, and has a big outcome for me personally, because, you know, that's again, me being a kid. And that's how I got into it. My early days were, my first job was in real estate. A lot of our parents made a bunch of investments in real estate, had a, had a significant outcome. Then my second job was in the stock market because again, you know, Wall Street and thinking about, okay, how can we make that quantum leap over there? And while I was working there, uh, I was that time in college. And then I saw like, it was a foundational shift for me somewhere around 18, 19, when I started realizing that, look, there are these edge cases of people that have made stupendous amount of money, just going after money really. But there's something deeper, right? There are a lot of people who have mastered the science of achievement, but they, they're still not fulfilled, right? There's something deeper that, that we need to care about. And that's how my first startup was really in the education space. Like, you know, when I went to college and I realized that I wasn't really learning something that I could practically use uh, and that I was not the only one feeling that way, decided to build something that could solve the problem, not just for me, but for the many people that, you know, that I was studying with. Incidentally, my whole edtech journey was definitely, I would say, a decade too soon. So, you know, the, the unacademies of the world and, and so on did almost exactly, almost exactly what, we, what they did just, you know, a decade earlier. And then from there, uh, I, I came to realize, Jivraj, that, you know, this was around 2013, that if you look at the top 10 technology companies of the world, they come like most of them come from a 50 mile radius, right, in, in the U.S., and that got me thinking, I'm like, what's happening, right? Like there must be something happening there and very, very much in line with the, you know, your, the name of your series, the Indian Silicon Valley, right? Thinking about what's happening in Silicon Valley that it sort of gives birth to all of these giants, right? I was very curious. Uh, so I decided to take a trip there. It was supposed to be a one month trip, went and never came back, never meaning that you know, stayed there for a year. Landed up building my next company there. And then eventually came back because of some visa issues in the U.S. So I wanted to stay there just because it was so magnetic. And it's true, there is some there is some magic dust sort of in the air uh, in, in Silicon Valley, mostly because of the people you get to interact with, right? But in hindsight, you know, fortunately came back to India because, you know, U.S. really <laughs> went through its own cycle of turmoil uh, in the last few years. After coming back to India, built, uh, you know, Haptic with Akrit and Swapan over here. Um, so Haptic was, of course, uh, in conversational AI. But the big shift, you know, again, talking about the, the purpose uh, coming back to the front uh, in my journey happened in 2016 when I was having a conversation with one of my mentors and the conversation went in the direction of, of recognizing that most of the world's smartest people are busy selling ads. And, you know, if you think about the people at Google, at Facebook, at Amazon, at all of these places, they're trying to sell us more stuff online. And it's, it's amazing because it's not like we don't know the pressing issues that are that humanity faces uh, in front of us, but you know, somehow there's just one Elon Musk. I don't know why. Uh, you know, somehow there's only a few people who are going after the real problems, if I may. And, and that got me thinking. That conversation stuck with me. Two months after that, Haptic raised like over $12 million from uh, Times Internet, uh, which is India's largest ad tech company. I was uh, running all product. Uh, and so my job was to put ads inside of Haptic. Uh, didn't want to do that. So decided to spend six months really thinking about this 
a question that I think is one of the most important questions that we should all ask, and especially aspiring entrepreneurs like yourself and the many others that listen. I spent six months with just one question. I said, okay, what are the greatest opportunities of my generation? You know, we are so obsessed with the whole startup five, seven exit journey, five, seven year exit journey, because that's what VCs want. They need an exit in seven years that they, they force fit everything into that, that, you know, journey it needs to fit. But, you know, in my opinion, you're building a company to, to serve a certain set of people and have an impact. And so the real question that you're asking is when I'm 80 and I'm looking back, all of the mega trends that I see that happened in my generation, did I serve them? Did I enable them to go in the right direction? Did I accelerate our species in a way that sort of continues to push them in the right direction? Uh, or at least the direction that we believe could be right for the next thousands of years. Like that got me thinking, really thinking about what is the generational impact that I can have uh, with my work, not necessarily just how I can get an exit in five years. And that got me in the direction of recognizing that there's literally no bigger challenge and opportunity like climate change, uh, which is sort of where ION started. With ION, what we're trying to do is accelerate the Earth's transition to an all-electric future. And I think that it gives me like immense satisfaction, not only knowing that clean tech and energy is a fast-growing space, but also the fact that every single day that we come to work, we're actually helping the world get to a zero carbon future. So just sort of taking you through my journey of how it all started with money, but today it's diametrically opposite saying, look, I don't want an exit in five years. I really want to have an impact uh, on, on the world in my generation. So yeah, I'll pause there, but hopefully that gives you sort of some context of how my journey has been. No, absolutely. I think that's fabulous to hear. I mean, just the recognition that, you know, we get just one shot at creating something truly meaningful and where does all of that meaning lie and what's the higher purpose of our actions. I think that's so important. And the early realization of how you transition towards your mission is a great cue for everyone listening. That's an amazing cue to start off with, right? But if I may just ask you to double click on that, right? I mean, when you talk about the real problems, right? And when I remember looking at an Elon Musk interview from the 2010s and how he made his transition from after PayPal, he could have gone on to do anything, right? And we see the PayPal mafia do everything, right? There's a LinkedIn, there's a YouTube, there's a partner at Sequoia, the, everything, right? But Elon was the one who took the path where he wanted to focus on, you know, the, if not the real problems, the ones that truly matter in the, in our generation, right? Talk to us more about how did you make peace with the fact that, okay, this is something that is counterintuitive to me, but I'm still going to go ahead with it. This is something that will truly matter. And despite not coming from that background, I'll make I'll give it my best foot forward and, you know, just get through this, right? Like that sense of purpose, like if you could double click on, I think that'd be great to just understand further. Yeah, I think there, there are three layers to what you just said. Um, the first bit, I'll say that, look, you don't get just one shot at, at making an impact. You can, you get one life, but you get many shots, right? Uh, and, and you can choose, you can choose how you sort of go after it. And I truly believe in that because I've, I've taken multiple shots, right? And I've come here by by taking them talking about specifically you know this notion of the real problems or the problems that have an impact incidentally i don't think that they are counterintuitive they are very intuitive like if you just think about it right like it's right there in front of us and it's just very easy to ignore because there is so much other 
noise exactly right like if you think about all of the stuff that's happening around social all of the stuff that's happening around you know aggregation and shared utilization and financing and there's so much fintech for example like there's so much stuff happening in these other areas and i don't mean to undermine the effort that's happening in those areas it's just that it basically takes away from some of the fundamental pieces like hey we're destroying this planet <laughs> or uh, like you know while we are doing all of this we might we have this notion like and this is a, a very interesting segue by the way we have this notion that if we leverage technology to save human time that humans will make the right decision with that additional time okay uh, like you know if you if you save them time by saying that hey now i can do something faster right now i have more time and this assumption is that hey now they can spend more time with their families and they can spend time with their kids and you know they can they can read books and do whatever they want but the reality is we're amazing at wasting time like we're absolutely amazing at not using that time productively but you know again coming back into the question that you asked me just for a second taking the digression the reason i said that is because it's amazing how we make intuitive problems counterintuitive for ourselves these are things that are very much out there they're visible and i'm not just talking climate change right so i'm talking things like you know if you think about bill gates he has spent over a decade reminding every single person that look a pandemic can happen uh, and it it could happen it could really be more devastating than a you know a meteor hitting the earth or some nuclear war but you know nobody nobody really took that very seriously until it happened right another example could be a lot of uh, a lot of effort is being put into genome mapping into uh, nanotechnology in the is completely obscure right like you know like how many people really know what's happening in nanotech for example uh, but both of these things like genome mapping and nanotechnology are going to come together you know in our generation absolutely for you know really interesting biomedical engineering problems right meaning that really like what about personalized medicine targeted cancer treatment like all of those very interesting problems but you know there is also clubhouse right which is so much more exciting so you know you have like uh, like a whole swarm of people trying to build a bunch of stuff over here um and there are many intuitive uh, intuitively exciting and challenging uh, and meaningful problems uh, that exist um which which are really open for anyone who just sits down for even a week and says you know what's happening man like, like what's what's actually happening in the world um and then it really rises to the surface because these are fundamentally visible to all of us you can look outside your window and you can see that i can't see the mountains i can't see the building 10 feet like you know like whatever 200 feet away because there's something not okay with with the air so for me it was it was less about whether it was counter intuitive it was actually very intuitive it was just connecting with that decision to say okay let's take that leap of faith to solve this real problem you know when i say real i mean a problem that i believe could have a very significant impact on the trajectory of this planet now incidentally i i don't want to seem uh, you know like an activist of climate change or an activist trying to say hey solve real problems that's not the point it's a very much you know it's very much an entrepreneurial mindset meaning that you have to align the opportunities the the velocity of growth with the you know sort of impact that you can have 
And so, you know, the idea is not to start an NGO or a non-profit that is solving climate change or, you know, creating awareness, but really building products that help the world, you know, move forward as, as in unison. So the reason I bring that up is because right now, clean tech and AI are very much the, the mega trend that we are going to witness for the next 20, 25 years. You know, you, you look right from the reason why, you know, Tesla is not accepting Bitcoin is because it has a climate impact, right? So there are people making decisions commercially because it has a climate impact. The, there are companies like Amazon, for example, right? Their climate pledge fund and their climate pledge itself is to basically achieve the Paris Agreement 10 years faster. And you have even companies like Shell, for example, right? Which are sort of forever been associated with gasoline and, and petrol and diesel. Now saying that, look, we want to become fully clean. Uh, we want to, you know, swing into the other side. So what made this easier for me in terms of that, that leap of faith was not just the fact that it was quite obvious that we needed to solve this problem, but also that its time had come. And it was, it, you know, you could see that BMW, Volkswagen are saying, okay, cool. Like this Tesla company is really taking over. We need to do something. Uh, and then Shell and NG and NL saying that, okay, shit, we need to move uh, to uh, a cleaner source of energy. Uh, it was governments and regulations signing the Paris Agreement and saying, okay, you know, by, 20, uh, by 2050, we want to get to a certain point in our carbon emissions journey. So things are coming together, right? And again, these are not counterintuitive. If you just sit down and you think about something and you do five Google searches, it's going to present itself to you. So those are the things that came together really for me to make the decision and say, okay, we need to be in the energy space because it's not, it may not be a, a three-year or a five-year journey where we get to sell the company for a billion dollars in three years. But over a 15-year period, we are going to create gigantic value. And being intertwined with the problem statement early on is going to help us. So yeah, that's, those are sort of the first principle thinking that, that sort of got me into energy. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. Like it's one of those things that, you know, is like hiding in plain sight because there's so much noise going around us. I mean, just like pollutes the vision, but it's great to just see that, you know, if you, as you said, you know, you ended with the first principles thought and I think it just personifies it because if you look at it from the basics, fundamentally, you'll just be able to add up and connect the dots. But that's the thing about, I mean, some of these things which are not counterintuitive. Thanks for the clarification, in fact, and you know, that's a great way to now move into the fact that now that you'd recognized, okay, that iron energy and energy is the space you want to be in and actually create value. Talk to us about, you know, how the initial days of figuring out uh, where do you want to lead, uh, what iron energy does to begin with as well, give us a bit more clarity around how that works. And also fascinatingly enough, what I get curious really about is there are these products for which you don't just have to create the product, but you also have to create the market, so to say, right? Like, because a large part of, I understand that given the target market is still OEMs to an extent and they'd still be well-versed, I'm sure a sense of market education must have gone into the product at least early on to, you know, just tell people that if not you've arrived, that you exist and that there is something that people can leverage off, your clients can leverage off, right? So talk to us about that initial journey, market education and other their related themes in this zero to one journey of iron. Well, that's a that's a great point uh, and a great question as well. So iron's journey, again, going back to first principles for me, when I when I was thinking about energy, right? So you know, cut back to 20, 2016, I'm thinking about these 
what are the greatest opportunities of our generation? You know, I've narrowed down to three. The three of them, I'll just tell you because you know, just to sort of for fun, maybe <laughs> the three opportunities that I identified was the new energy transition, which is of course where Ion is, uh, artificial intelligence across the board, you know, finding its way into many industries. Uh, and the third one is biomedical engineering, which is something that I really, really uh, am fascinated by. So in the new energy transition, at the time, Tesla was completely going berserk. Model 3 had just sort of solved its production issues, was coming off the assembly line. And I started reading about what Tesla was doing. And the more that I read about them, Jivraj, I realized that <laughs> they're actually not a car company. You know, they're an energy company that uses cars as a delivery mechanism for batteries. Like all that Tesla is trying to do is trying to get a critical mass of battery volume consumption so that they can bring the price of batteries down and then use it across many applications, which is why they have the power wall, which is why they bought Solar City and they sort of you know, built this whole piece around energy. So they're not just a mobility company, they're actually an energy company and they use cars as a delivery mechanism to sell batteries. And that's really what a car is. It's basically a battery on wheels, right? With a steering wheel. The reason I say that is because the battery is typically 40 to 45% of the cost of the vehicle, right? So if you're buying a $100,000 uh, Tesla, you're spending like $40,000 on, on the battery alone. So I was very fascinated by this notion of the battery pack and knowing, you know, since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with cars. Like cars have really been my, like my deep rooted passion. I know that batteries always re need replacements, right? Like even the batteries that we have in our internal combustion cars, you, you need battery replacements. So now if you, if you try and connect those, those dots in, with first principles, you're saying, okay, we're having this massive trend around shared mobility, you know, where we are seeing a lot of, a lot of companies like Ola, Uber and, and Lyft and so on are building fleets and enabling shared mobility. There is this push towards electric mobility and Tesla is really pushing in that direction. And then Tesla has launched these, you know, self-driving cars suddenly, which are really making like a real sort of entry into the world even if it might be later into India, but it's still sort of coming, right? You come to realize that, look, these cars are going to outlive their batteries, meaning that those, like the car will have, will exist, but the batteries will replace two or three times because they're going to increase the utilization. So if you or I buy a car, you know, we're just going to be driving it maybe from home to work, maybe a few times here and there. So statistically, we're only using it for 2% of the time that we buy. So out of the 100%, you know, most people, most personal drivers, 98% of the time, their car is just stationary sitting somewhere, right? So for me, under my building, under my office, they're just sitting there. But with shared mobility, you're enabling increased utilization of that asset, meaning that it's always on the move. If it's always on the move, your battery is going to degrade faster, right? So you're going to use the battery faster and you're going to degrade it faster. So meaning today, if you and I used to change our battery once every five years, with shared mobility, we'll probably have to say, you know, change it every two years, right? So there's going to be an increased utilization of the asset. So putting these, these simple things together, the battery costs a lot of money and it will be replaced uh, faster because of shared mobility. So we said, okay, if, if we can increase the life of this battery, right, you can effectively lower the cost of ownership of the asset in its cycle. Like, you know, so if you were to replace the battery in two years, if you can do it two and a half years, then the half year is essentially an additional benefit on the same capex investment that you've made on buying the battery. Um, so he said that would be really interesting because the battery itself costs a lot of money, right? So if we can if we can do that for a fleet of say 10,000 cars, you know, that's a few million dollars uh, in, in savings, right? So 
that's what got me really interested in thinking about how can we extend the life and performance of these batteries so that we can have a a very clear impact on not only financial impact jivraj but also environmental impact right so eventually to make a new battery you're going to have to do a lot of mining a lot of manufacturing the whole supply chain has to happen so if you can just you know we keep on thinking about recycling and replacement but the ideation like can we also increase the utilization like if we can just use it better uh, you can have an environmental impact so got into thinking about how we can extend the life and performance of these batteries incidentally at the time um one thing that sort of really stood out for me and this is really the genesis of ion was if the battery costs so much money right and people are not buying electric vehicles because their capex is high like you know the vehicle costs a lot of money because they're buying the battery with it can we detach the battery and sell only the vehicle and sell the battery as a service that was the genesis of ion ion started with the with the thought that maybe we can build battery as a service and then leverage our software to extend the life of our own batteries that we are putting on our uh, sort of asset base um, to then have higher utilization of this asset right so we combined the notion of removing the battery from the vehicle and selling the vehicle which would then become much cheaper than an internal combustion engine because there is no battery and then selling the battery as a service of course that piece uh, you know panned out in a way that we realized that a lot of if we had to do something like that so there is a different story to that that if you want to do something like that you have to have a very deep partnership with the OEM that is making the vehicle and companies like gogoro for example in taiwan have done battery swapping and battery as a service uh, and a lot of people have tried in india and some people continue to try but it seems like it's a few years out so we shifted gears and we realized that the core value prop of our product is not so much the financing of the batteries but really the technology that extends the life of the battery like that's the core tech it's not the fact that hey we can we can hold the financing of the batteries uh, because that's there's no ip there so inside um just going slightly uh, technical here if you think about how a battery comes together there's a cell so a cell is just like a double a battery that put you in a remote like think of it that way right like it's a simple cell many cells come together to make a module right so imagine 20 30 50 cells together many modules come together to make a pack a battery pack and then many battery packs come together to make a big system okay so that's sort of the sequence when you go from modules to battery pack which is say imagine in a tesla you have 16 modules okay you need a battery management system or you know a uh, think of it as an electronics board just like your computer needs an intel chip think of it as an electronics board that connects to all of those batteries and makes sure that they are all working in unison you know the battery management system is responsible not only for safety of the battery but also for health and performance of the battery so i'll i'll, I'll not go into too much depth there because i want to keep it slightly more surface level so ion started with recognizing that it's not the cells but really how you manage the cells that has the impact on how you can extend the life of the battery and so um we started building these battery management systems over time we've come to realize that it's not just these electronics that go inside of these battery packs but also advanced software that you can use to extract data and then change the way that you use these batteries um to to improve their life and performance so to give you an example let's say that you come back again 70% of electric vehicle charging happens at home 
right? So it's not on fast charging. People are obsessed with fast charging and like they want to charge everywhere fast. But in reality, 70% plus happens in slow charging, like at your home when you're sleeping at night. So when you bring your car back, let's say you put it on your home charger at night at say 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. Because it's 1 a.m., even if we can charge the vehicle in two hours, you can slow the charging down and charge over five hours, right? So you deliberately charge it slower so that you have a lesser impact on battery degradation. Uh, and so software that, that finds out these opportunities for improvement uh, are things that we saw could add a lot more value apart from just the electronics. And so that's essentially how sort of ION got not only into the business of advanced electronics, but also cloud software that helps you improve the life and performance of batteries. Now, coming to your question around market education, as I'm doing right now for many of the viewers, this, this as well will be sort of like all new information, right? Uh, and that's fine. It's just that it's a journey we're all going on together, right? Today, if you ask someone how an engine works, they probably understand how fuel injection works, how actually combustion happens and how it works. Maybe some people don't, but it's, it's widely accepted that that's, that's basically how this car is moving from point A to point B. Entering any industry early means that you have both the, the, the responsibility as well as the opportunity to, to educate uh, your audience. And it's very important because think of it this way, right? A lot of, a lot of money gets invested by investors and by OE, not just OEMs, but any corporate, any like large companies into a direction. Once they have committed money in direction A, getting them to suddenly shift to direction B, if you later realize that direction B was better, is very difficult, right? Because they're already committed to a long-term investment in, in this direction. So educating them what the right direction is early on is very important because if they make a fundamentally wrong direction of investment, uh, then you could lose the plot. Like the entire thing could go to waste, right? Uh, and it's happened before. Like if you look at the, the clean tech uh, sort of investment cycle that happened, you know, about 15 years ago, it went completely wrong. It was a disaster, right? And then it's taken us 15 years to recover from that. But coming to your point around how we went about educating uh, the, the audience, I must confess that we are standing on the shoulders of companies like Tesla, right? They really set the stage for companies like us to go out and sit, you know, point at things, be like, look, software is important. It's not mechanical. Like in the future, electronics and software will control how your vehicle will go from point A to point B. You know, users are expecting a mobile app where they can turn on, turn off a car. They are expecting over the air updates. They are expecting a big screen inside and like a really good operating system. This is the new expectation of, of the user today. So they really set the stage for many, many companies. And this is why, you know, it doesn't matter whether you like Elon Musk or not, whether you like, you know, Tesla or not, you have to, you have to credit them for the fact that they took that, that big bet, right? When nobody else was, was taking that big bet. And that helped us, you know, really take examples and point out that, look at that, you should do this, look at that, you should do that. But then also, because the company was built on first principles, uh, we could explain to people with first principles that look, um, at some point, customers are going to look for differentiation in the market. Today, if you and I are selling the same, uh, let's say scooter, uh, what is your value prop? Is your value prop that the battery will last longer, it will go faster? Like, you know, the same things that you have today on internal combustion engines, 
you have to find a way to generate alpha and software and electronics help you generate alpha because you can build on top of these platforms so there was there was a significant amount of market education that requ- that was required but the good thing was that there were there were a few really good successful examples that we could point to and then leverage our first principles thinking to sort of get people to buy into why they should take you know bets on us and when those bets start paying off then sort of sort of starts compounding on top of that right because it's not just about selling a story but really adding value so i think i i went in 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 a lot of directions in that in in that last question but long story short uh, over there is that with ion what we're trying to do is build advanced electronics and software which we believe these two these two capabilities are the two capabilities that are driving the new energy transition not only in mobility but also in energy generation distribution storage and consumption and so we're really building on these two core capabilities and then leveraging them manifesting them together into products um whether you think of it as a battery management system tomorrow it could be an electric vehicle charger it could be a vehicle controller a motor controller but our work is at the intersection of advanced electronics and software to help the earth transition to a zero carbon future spectacular i think i love that especially the fact that you know you're you're being able to distill such complex so to say for at least a novice such as myself complex technical concepts into fluid easily understandable theories i think that just stands out and speaks volumes of you as a founder as well and the mission that you're working towards and to the core question as well of market education right because if you can distill those complicated things and bring it out for the mass in a simplified manner i think that does so much of the market education that we were talking about right so further i want to uh, put you in a tough spot and you know give you a long winded question around culture but purely out of curiosity again because a we had a great chat before this conversation that explored so much about it a b i've heard a bunch from uh, dhrupad who connected us as well c i i loved the research as as i was doing and going through you know all that you've said in the past so when we talk about culture uh, this is in 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 the fold that how does culture transform from the founder to the organization as a whole and with that context highlighting some of your personal traits which have really stood out right so be it the power of listening that you've been a huge proponent of be it the factor that you have read diversely and immersed yourself into concepts such as self awareness meditation these are all again i mean let's say again one of those fundamental concepts that are hiding in plain sight but again very essential right because barely have i spoken to a lot of people who would emphasize on the power of listening or meditation or in fact talk about the transition towards the org level right so with that you know long question if you could just give us a deep dive into the culture at ion and how it flows from the founders to the org and how you are able to inculcate that i think that would be tremendous to just get an overview uh, a so to say master class on how founders can learn from this aspect mm Dude, that is long winded and and i love this subject right this is in fact this is the this is the topic that that got me into entrepreneurship and makes me stay here you know they say that you shouldn't you shouldn't become an entrepreneur unless it's the only thing if you know you can do 
and you can't live with yourself if you do anything else because it's a very difficult and painful journey and i can concur <laughs> uh, but what makes it very i would say very satisfying is this is this ability to craft an environment where you and the people around you love uh, coming back to every single day like an environment that everyone com- loves coming back to but not just loves coming back to sort of it enables them really to do you know you know as i say their life's best work and that's that's my personal mission my personal mission mission is to enable everyone to do their life's best work so it deeply ties into culture uh, you know people can't do their life's best work if they get into an environment where they don't have full ownership full responsibility the ability to speak the ability to really the liberty to come out and have an opinion to uh, you know a place where there is someone holding them up to high standards where they can't sort of slip something under the rug and be like ha you know let's just send this out where they are focused on truly delivering value not just creating valuation you know as founders again like you know many times we are tempted to just create a ui and create a story <laughs> and go to the investor like dekho you know we have we have this we have that but in the back there is really nothing there and i think that if you create a culture of high standards and you create a culture where you make it evidently clear to your team and again sort of ties into the notion of transparency when when the entire team is fully aware of what the current situation is who our customer is what is their problem and how we are hoping to serve them and how we are hoping to serve our mission when it's abundantly clear then if you've done a decent enough job even of hiring then people come together to do the right thing many a times it's it's sort of shown as the founders crafting something right and i don't think that it's crafting something it's just it's just doing the basics right and then most people just do it themselves like it happens it's it's a happening not a creation so if i if i talk to you about culture specifically one thing that is very clear i can back it 100% that it definitely flows from the founders it's not something that you know if if you don't practice what you preach there is no way uh, it's it's going to sort of percolate inside of your organization as as culture so at ion i've been fortunate to to really find my co-founder and and other senior leadership that tie very deeply uh, with the type of culture that we want to build and i don't mean that they we don't think alike we are diverse in in that set but diversely passionate about building a culture of full ownership full responsibility high standards transparency real service customer success uh, and and so on right so what has worked for us is is having a diverse set of founders that strongly believe in in different aspects of uh, of culture and then because like you mentioned one of those aspects is is truly listening um we are open minded about learning from each other and that's what makes it even satisfying for us because a founder or even a super successful founder right is not a no all cure all sort of person right this person if you don't have someone that you can admire in your organization that you can learn from like it really sucks you know if you are the smartest person in the organization it's not a good place to be <laughs> so there needs to be an environment where even the founders are learning and i think that because we are we are honest and transparent about the fact that look i don't know everything 
you are coming in because I trust that you know something better than me. So please teach me. And here is your ownership and here's your responsibility. And here's your approval matrix that allows you to sort of give out approvals without checking with me. When you really create that environment and they see vulnerability and, and like, you know, honesty really from the founders, they percolate that with the people that they hire, right? So these simple sort of traits compound over time. One of the things that, you know, really helped me shape culture inside of, inside of ION was this notion of life's best work. And the way that I visualize this, and I spoke to you about that before, I really think about the journey that all of us are on individually and as teams. You know, at some point, we're going to become grandparents and we're going to have grandchildren that come to us. Uh, hopefully, the world will exist <laughs> until then. Um, and, you know, they're going to ask us about stories, you know, when we were young you know, what was the work we were doing, you know, just like I asked my grandfather and he used to tell me how he was a clerk at Siemens, you know, and what he used to do. When you're 80 and you're looking back and your grandchildren are asking you about your journey, the story that brings a smile to your face, the stories that you tell your grandchildren about the work that you did, hopefully would be a time that you spent either at ION or, you know, you, you were doing something where I had the ability to play some role in and contribute to that journey. Like I'm a big proponent of people, even inside of ION, if they decide to go and start something themselves, if they want to become entrepreneurs themselves, because life's best work doesn't have to be inside of an organization that I'm at the helm of, or we are running together. I want to be able to contribute to your life's best work. Maybe this podcast is, is your life's best work, and I'm happy to contribute to it in, in this small way. But that's really something that drives me forward. When there is a strong Again, sorry, small segue, but this is this is something that is a recent but very important learning that's come to me. Dude, you know, we think about these missions, values, uh, and, and, you know, mission statement and sort of core values loosely, right? Like, you know, a lot of people have diluted uh, that, that concept. But recently it's hit me and hit me hard that if you have a strong and clear vision, you can use that to make so many tactical decisions. It just makes it super clear whether you're going to do A or B. Uh, like these difficult decisions, tempting decisions that you really want to do something, right? But if you have a strong mission behind it, like it becomes far easier to give away temptation and do what you want to do. And that's really what's happening with culture at ION and this notion of life's best work. So, you know, when, when I think about creating that environment, you know, things like how we do appraisals, how we, how we try and hire new people, the, like the, the first 30 days, the, the mentorship that people receive if they don't do high standards work, like let's say they deliver something and it's not high standards. How do you respond to that, right? How do you respond to failure? And again, not going after that general notion of, yeah, you know, fail fast, we'll, we'll, it's okay to fail. Yes, like, of course, that is the, that is the core principle. But how do you respond to it in the moment? Like when you find out that a customer, for example, is extremely unhappy uh, because of some downtime that is costing them $200,000 a day and they want to you know, claim a penalty from us. How do you respond to that? Because those are the things that latch on, right? And I think that that's how you really build culture. When apart from, apart from these general traits of transparency, openness, uh, you know, and, and and all of these personal traits, there are some personal traits that percolate from the founders, but what creates culture is your response to what happens and the decisions that you make. 
that's really what makes it stick if you say all of these things but then you know when something happens you're like dude what the fuck is this like you know it's it's, it's all this team's fault and how could you do this and blah 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 it's going to shatter like it won't stay so there is a the 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 resilience of your culture is driven by the decisions and the response to stimuli uh, that that the leadership and the team take together the more consistent it is with your initial expectation setting the stronger the more resilient that culture becomes uh, and eventually you know a few years out you can't believe how how strong those core values are because you know you've consistently made decisions in that direction so when we say a simple example would be you know this notion of high standards right we say look anything that we do has to has to live up to a certain high standard right and this also comes from i think jeff bezos has a beautiful uh, letter around how high standards is a is a core value even inside of amazon and i remember reading that letter that he wrote to his investors you know he sort of writes that every annual letter to his investors around high standards and we adopted that early on in our journey uh, and we said that look every design every social media post every proposal every email every issue resolution process like everything has to be high standards and now you have like four years of doing that and now you know people send messages people send emails and they'll get comments this is not hs okay and you know like even interns are telling other people that this is not hs so once you have this notion of saying look we are unaccepting of mediocrity we want it to be not good but great whether it's a small email whether it's your website whether it's a creative and then comes you know a point in time where hey we have a funding announcement tomorrow but i don't have any other creative for this uh, page okay it's 1 am in the night and they'll reach out to me like hey i feel this is what we're doing i'm like no man this is not high standards we can push the funding announcement by a day right to the media if you need but we are not shipping until that is right okay decisions like those will will solidify this notion of shit like you know we can't push low standards when somebody sends out an email which is not high standards taking the time out to respond back to that email and saying look this is not high standards this is how it could have been this is how it could have been this is how it could have been like actually breaking it down those are the responses that create high standards so all of this just to say that there are some core fundamental traits that you need to have as a as a founder you need to be open and transparent about them very very important is holding yourself and your team accountable for those core values i also recommend not trying to define those core values right away like you know a lot of companies sort of start the company like yeah we need to have a mission we need to have core values let's define all of this this is our this is who we are you know honestly we didn't know who we are we are just today after four and a half years getting started probably too late but but still just getting started on actually defining our core values right because your core values should essentially rise from the top not just based on the founders but people who have performed really well in the organization on your journey you will meet other people who are really good at other things uh, and those other things should also become part of what you collectively stand for and you learn from so once you set up the foundation where you treat everyone as equal you be open transparent with them you give them the ownership the responsibility even if they are naive and then be their mentor and respond to their failures so that there is course correction happening uh, along the way even if even if that lasts for a thousand days you know i would say a thousand days is really 
the minimum time that you need to create any kind of culture right you can't create it in in you know, six months it takes some time of consistently doing certain things in a certain way and then it becomes muscle memory for the company in in our experience uh, that that journey has has been very very beautiful and it's primarily driven by this core fundamental mission to create an environment that helps people do their life's best work and a place that people love coming back to because they believe that they can take a decision and make a change and they can speak and they can you know they have a you know they have, it's not it's not that they have an opinion but they have the ability to take action on that opinion and change uh, what they want to change and that collective ownership is really what sort of brings everyone together in, inside the culture that that's beautiful akhil i mean a large part of that mission for you personally as a founder as to how you've defined it as to enabling folks to do their life's best work is not just noble in nature but just speaks volumes of how the culture is shaping up and what you're working towards in terms of the larger mission at iron and overall as well i mean when you speak about not just looking at culture for the tweets but to also practice it in an ingrained level so much so that it becomes second nature and part of the dna of everyone at iron i mean that's that's the eventual aim of every founder i'm guessing as well right but the way you've broken it down for us i think that's just very anecdotal and very very fluid for us to understand so a uh, superb uh, in that aspect and that just clarifies a large part of culture and that was phenomenal to hear as we progressed you know the ending parts of what has been a beautiful discussion i want to once also understand how you're strategically looking at uh, shipping things right so large part of what you spoke in terms of high standards if we break it down to not just product thinking or innovative thought processes which is i'm guessing a must in especially given the industry or in given the pace of innovation in the clean tech market how do you not just inculcate the pace of innovation but also ensure that there is a method to the madness when it comes to strategy when it comes to product and that side of the aspect right when we come on to the things that really drive the future of what you're doing at iron and how you're going to progress for the next 15 20 30 50 years even right so i think that would be great to hear before we move on to a couple of last questions so jivraj i'm a i'm a big believer of of this intersection between empathy and innovation and i'm going to use that art to try and answer your question when we think about shipping when we think about product when we think about even the future again taking taking some outside threads from jeff bezos uh, and jeff really says in his letters that when you are deeply empathetic with your customer like consumers are amazing right they're deeply dissatisfied with everything <laughs> you you give them everything and they will find a new expectation you know that they want even something more so if you really get into the driver seat with an empathy mindset towards the consumer or towards the towards whom you are serving or what mission you are serving it is an infinite journey okay you can give everybody lamborghinis but they'll probably want ferraris after that like you know they will always want something more and our job is is to be able to empathize the source of that need not just not just um i would say materialistically jivraj but i like you know we we spent some time around this notion of meditation and and self awareness we didn't really go there or i didn't sort of steer in that direction but i think that there is a big responsibility on us to not only help people 
like preemptively help people understand what they're like, deliver what they're asking for but also help them become more aware about the consequences of this never ending materialistic journey that that everyone is sort of going on so in terms of product development in terms of shipping we try and build like we try and build a very deep sense of empathy uh, inside the company with our customers we're a we're a b2b company meaning that in many cases we don't get to interact directly with the consumer right so we have to preempt what that consumer wants meaning what this business will sell and so what should you know we do for this business so we sort of one tier away if you have a strong sense of empathy you can start then using first principles imagining what you know consumers will will want right and and you can then start building in that direction so for us we try and understand really the problems that our our customers are facing when they are taking their product to market so for example india is extremely cost sensitive right to to any they they want the innovation but you know at a cost that really that really works and that's what india is amazing at like you know th- we are amazing at at exchanging volume for value right we're saying look we'll give you we'll give you a million units but this is the value that has to come at right so if you look at other parts of the world the price is higher but the volumes are lower but places like india and china share population and share like consumer interest you can increase like 10x the volume but at a price point that is much lower so once you understand that if someone has to break through the electric vehicle market of india they need to be able to get to a battery which is you know below say 150 dollars per kilowatt hour hypothetically then you can empathize with these guys right they're saying look even we want to support this mission to an all electric future but we can't do it if the cost doesn't go down or we can't do it if it's not fully reliable if you can empathize with them then your product roadmap your trajectory around what you want to launch aligns deeply with what the blocker for them is in the market uh, on the flip side when we work with say high performance motorcycle oems in germany right these guys want to build super fast motorcycles that they're going to be selling all over the world their problem statement is not money right they, if you empathize with them they're saying look i want to be able to push it to the max right i i really want to be able to gun it uh, without killing the battery without any you know like fatal incident on the battery when i'm going all max out and so for them if you empathize with them what they're trying to do is create a market for themselves by by talking about performance and you want to be able to shift your product roadmap in the direction where you can deliver performance to the customers that care about that but price to the customers that care about that and then slowly driving in a direction which blends the two right where you're saying okay how can i give high performance at a really solid price and then you know create distribution i think that if i was to if i was to break it down um in terms of innovation i think innovation for us is is deeply intertwined with um, our our customer trajectories so instead of instead of taking quantum leaps forward and saying that okay 10 years later somebody will need something we like to go the incremental route where we're saying okay from time to time there will be these leaps okay which happens right but you are in a infinite game we are playing the long game we are not playing that short game right so when we are playing that long game there is an incremental journey and then there are some leaps okay so there is the there is the you know smartphone leap 
and then there is 12 years of incremental innovation on iphone right so it's not every year that you just sort of say okay now there's like some completely different technology there is a consistency associated with improving improving certain things and then there are opportunities to take leaps of faith so that's the same thing with with the way that ion works we think about how we can reliably deliver to the needs of the market by being uh, in in a strong empathetic relationship with our customer and their customer and keep an eye out for opportunities where we can take leaps of faith uh, and and sort of help create an exponential uh, or a disproportionate uh, value for for both us as well as our customers so you know i'll i'll stop there because i don't want to go too much more uh, into uh, into the actual product roadmap and and what we have in the future but generally speaking i think the notion of empathy for me uh, comes to me from you know what i learned from satya nadella like you know the way he's really transformed microsoft uh, is literally based on this one word you know he says empathy can be transformed into so many ways you can be empathetic towards your team right and then you are creating an environment for your life's best work because you are empathetic towards their ambitions and their goals in life you can push that towards your suppliers and say hey those guys also need to make money so be empathetic with them and pay them on time and like you know work work give them a chance as well you can be empathetic with your customer and be like look even they have a problem in the market that's why they're negotiating with you they're not negotiating just to make more money so empathize with their problem and you can really use empathy and and drive it in all directions right so instead of i am we we try to we try to really leverage that word in in all of our relationships uh, whether it's our suppliers our customers our employees our team members the families of our team members if you put yourself in their position you know it's you can you can see where they are coming from and you take that and you pair that with innovation both incremental and quantum and i think that that really puts you in a place for for a beautiful long term journey absolutely i i cannot agree further i mean all of what you said and you know the the thread that connects everything in terms of empathy i think that's just so wonderful and and the way you've put it down for us in terms of product thinking i think that's phenomenal because it just exposes the strategic thought process and the qualitative thought process as opposed to the mechanical things which i'm sure are processes that we can figure out by ourselves but i think the qualitative stuff most of the times you know outlays the quantitative ones eventually so wonderful to hear that akhil thanks for that further um, you know as we you know close down the episode i want to just take a couple of quick minutes to talk about you although we have in large portions and a large part of your ideology has flown beautifully through our conversation i just want to take a quick stab at understanding the side of you who has to manage the administrative plus product plus team plus personal and the founder as you, as you were saying right like it is a tough journey evidently so and there's no disputing that fact right but how do you make peace with the process thrive in the chaos and also ensure that you're not taking a toll on yourself personally right because again there are multiple arguments that we could go on to or discussion points in fact arguments not being the right word however like i wouldn't go into work life balance and things like that but i'll leave the ball open up to you as to how do you as a founder decide where to spend most of your time at how do you go about balancing your life alongside it and the multiple things that you have to do while working towards the higher purpose higher mission that you have and managing the other things as well yeah man stuff it's, uh, it's not 
it's not a straightforward answer i like there is no there is no cookie cutter approach that works here <laughs> to sort of solve this problem and i don't even think it's a problem if you ask me it's the nature of the beast you know there is there's this beautiful book and you spoke about reading and you know i try to read a lot uh, in diverse subjects called the psychology of money in that book the author talks about the fact that everything has a cost if you want to become a day trader volatility is the cost you have to be fine with being up and down and round and round right so if you're fine with it that's the cost that's the nature of the game and that you decide to play it. what's very important jivraj is just knowing which game you are playing and entrepreneurship is not a single game there are many ways there are many types of entrepreneurs there are people that make billion dollar businesses in 18 months and then there are zero dollars of the world that you know fully bootstrap very fundamentally strong and consistently sort of showcasing and delivering value right so you can choose what type of entrepreneur you want to be do you want to be the guy that's that's working 18 hours a day and like really gunning for something because you're because you're running short of time like is there somewhere you need to go in 12 months it's a different game right so you decide the game you are playing if you decide to go and say that look i am trying to build ola and uber has come to india and i need to scale in order to in order to survive then that's your game right and then you know there is a cost associated with that game and if you are willing to pay that cost then that's that so for me it's really recognizing day by day you know there is this other this other book by ryan holiday called ego is the enemy and he sort of talks about the fact that you know if you want to overcome ego then you have to clean every day like there is there is a cleansing there is you have to sweep like you know if you have to clean your house right you don't clean it suddenly you wake up yeah hard today i have to clean my house there is a daily process and eventually it remains clean so every day you have to do something to remind yourself what is the game i'm playing what is my game and it's very difficult because comparison is the thief of joy right it's the thief of happiness we are comparing like oh like that guy is 5 million dollars in 12 months this guy is 25 million dollars like whatever that means for me my my way of work life integration and my way of of running a business is is reminding myself every day what game am i playing what are the costs that i'm willing to pay to play this game whether that means setting expectations with investors that look you are not investing in a two year flip company whether it means telling our our team members that you know we are going after a mission that is going to take potentially a decade uh, to even have a significant impact i think knowing knowing the costs you are willing to pay for the game that you want to play is very important on my side one thing i can tell you is that no matter how many philosophical concepts we introduce uh, when when the road meets rubber the administrative stuff the legal stuff the the <laughs> the issue escalations the the customer emails that are disheartening are difficult like again these are all just uh, they are also amazing things right so the uh, the amazing emails that you get from your customers the amazing fundraise news that you put out there are great things but there are also very difficult things that you encounter and these are not issues that you have solutions to it's just like life you know this is literally just like life there are things you suddenly wake up and someone in your family has a disease right there's no immediate cure you can't just throw money at that problem ke isko theek kar do right you can't do that there is a painful process of fixing that and you hope that it will eventually become better it's just like that in the company you know some product some part is not working and you can't throw money or people at that problem you have to go through that pain to actually go inside and then solve that issue and sometimes it takes weeks and months so as long as we can 
we can find some sort of balance in our mind because it's it's very much a psychological journey it is it is it is 20% physiology 20% doing stuff and 80% processing possibilities and probabilities uh, in your head right so as long as we can keep our our psychological state in control in control meaning that you have reminded yourself what is the game what is the cost and you are fine with both of those pieces right you are fine with the risk you are excited about the return you are okay with the investment of time you are making then then it's completely fine then it's perfectly fine for example i know entrepreneurs that 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 don't have a very good family life right uh, meaning that they they are fully clear that look my life is my job and my my work is going to be the legacy that i leave behind and sure it means that i won't have enough time with my kids and i won't have enough time with my my family and that's okay for me so as long as it's okay for you in your mind meaning that the cost is okay and you know the game you're playing all good no problem right and then there are other people that i know that do four day work weeks because they absolutely need to be able to spend time with their children and they absolutely want to spend time over here and they want to write a book and they want to travel the world then there is a different game they are playing right and those are the rules of that game so i think for me it's just about spending the time to decide what game you want to play get okay with the cost that associated with that game again i'm saying the same thing again and again but it's an important point because you know if you don't invest time in that then you accidentally find yourself somewhere and you're like shit like you know what am i doing so i'll pause there but that's what i do every day try and build a ritual that helps me understand the life that i want to live the the person i want to design uh, myself to be and do the work every day there's no destination man it's just a journey absolutely no i i love that simply because you know it's just so important to realize that i mean the acceptance of the journey right and knowing where you're playing i think the points that you emphasized and reiterated i think that's the part that we forget right because as long as we know and are aware and have accepted the positive and negative consequences of whatever we are doing we have to make peace with it and as you mentioned you know keep reminding each other and ourselves of what really matters and where you're headed so i think that's wonderful just the recognition and extension of action to just embody that uh, mindset i mean as you mentioned you know 80% of it is in the mind is psychological in nature wow this has been truly amazing akhil and you know for the last question as i was wondering and i don't know if if it's too abstract to end with this but i do emphasis a lot on age on the podcast as well right given that i'm a 22 year old myself and i uh, this is where a lot of us are in the crossroads of what comes next in life right and you pretty much take the journey of understanding where you want to do your life's best work and how right where do you want to spend a considerable proportion of your life of the one life that you get and then make it big right uh what i'm looking forward to this ending piece from you is how do you ensure that as a youngster despite the age you become self aware to answer some of these existential questions and go on that discovery pathway so as to actually realize that you're making conscious decisions on it as opposed to follow societal norms or pathways that would get you on autopilot mode but only to end up if not regretting to reevaluate 
at a later stage right don't know how far that makes sense but just to find that mission as a youngster uh, that's the long and short of it right how do you ensure as a youngster that you find your mission early on or if not find let alone find at least go on that pathway of discovery that would be great and if you have any cues of how we as the mask can also contribute to the larger aspect of what ions building for as well right the mission of a more sustainable future uh, so that we have a future i think that would be wonderful i mean your closing thoughts on this would be a great great way to end as i have mentioned what has been a truly spectacular conversation yes sir i think that's a great question to end with incidentally there's actually a similar answer to both of them right and and this is i'd like to end not so much with business and entrepreneurship but really about self awareness if you are self aware if you are truly conscious then everything that you do in your life will also align with the with the mission of iron like you it will be impossible for you to harm the environment if you are truly conscious because you'll realize that you and the tree and the cockroach and the sky and the building are the same star stuff right it's the same thing so you once you once you sort of get to a layer where you can truly say that there is literally no different literally there is nothing different between jivraj and akhil like we both are the same thing okay <laughs> when you say that it's very difficult to to do harm uh, because you don't cut yourself right because you don't want to cause pain to yourself and the reality is that you are me and i am you and like it's 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 truly the case so in terms of practice for uh, young entrepreneurs aspiring entrepreneurs you know people who are going to be future leaders i think if i was to give one piece of advice uh, it would be around self reflection it's actually all in you like there is nothing to learn there is lit- it's funny to say that there is not i read all of these books i go to all of these podcasts and listening to this podcast but in reality it's all there right you know as long as you are a self aware person right meaning that you can sit down with yourself and just write and just think and just anything right <laughs> whatever comes out that reflection of of who you are um uh, who you truly are and 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 what you connect with will help you find the missions that you want to go after right it's not something that i will tell you or jivraj will tell you or this podcast will tell you or or some other entrepreneur will tell you i truly believe that life is a happening like you know it happens for you and it gives you an option it gives you really the choice to to respond to it right and all that we have to be like you said is conscious and self aware to know that life is happening for us not to us it's happening for us and that we can respond to the things that happen for us uh, in our lives so this notion of being able to sit with yourself and even as as a person removing time just to be with yourself just to think uh, just and when i say think i mean there is a there is a part of you that is thinking where you're actually using your brain and then there is a part of asking some very very existential truly existential fundamental questions along the lines of again very interesting and and mysterious way to end but things like who am i really what is really my purpose okay who do i want to serve and this is a beautiful question to end with actually one question that has been like it has lasted maybe forever and it's a question that will continue to last forever if we make that question a foundational a sort of foundational aspect of our day to day then it really gives us direction and the question is how can i serve the most number of people in my life how can i serve how can i be of value 
to somebody when i say somebody it could be something somebody it doesn't have to be a person it could be animals it could be an, how can i be of service right and how can i extend the impact or the or the horizons of that service right when you ask yourself these fundamental questions and you are sitting with yourself in self reflection life will happen for you things will present themselves to you and then you will decide what to do with them and that's really sort of a simple counter intuitive but intuitive uh way of approaching how you can do your life's best work beautiful i think that's awesome i could not have thought of a better end to the wonderful conversation that we've ended up having so many of the qualitative aspects of entrepreneurship of life even if i may go to that extent that we've ended up speaking about are so quintessential to at least me and this is definitely a conversation i'm going to thoroughly remember and take advantage of and i hope everyone else does as well thank you so much akil for being your candid self for being unapologetically yourself and for sharing all of your years of wisdom with us in a great span of what has been a great great conversation thank you so much akil i hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as i did i loved it thanks for having me chitraj wow i am truly mindful This conversation was one of a kind. The qualitative output of this episode has provided some terrific guardrails in terms of inculcating a thought process that prioritizes thinking. A lot of food for thought via this amazing conversation. That was it from the 53rd episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast Life's Best Work with Akhil Aryan, the co-founder and CEO of Iron Energy. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Do follow the podcast on the audio streaming platform of your choice. Drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. Thanks again. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, I hope you recover. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.